everybody welcome to another episode of your intention matters thank you very much for listening to this episode my name of course is still paul madat today i have lawrence segovia he is vice president sales and marketing at data locker coming to us from southern california lawrence how are things everything's great thank you very much paul i appreciate you inviting me to join your podcast i appreciate you being here do me a favor say hi to everybody and provide a quick intro Hello, everybody. Uh, my name is Lawrence Segovia. I'm with Data Locker. I um, have a wife of 26 years, four kids, three grandkids, three dogs, and two birds, and a partridge in a pear tree. How did I know that was coming at the tail end there? I love it. <laughs> All right, good. Well, listen, Lawrence, thanks again for being here. Uh, listen, as we were speaking before I hit record here, you know, the title of the podcast is called Your Intention Matters, and that's really built from my foundation, that nothing is really given to any of us. And it all starts with what's up top with our mindset and our vision and our intention. And I'm looking forward to you sharing your story. You ready to go here? I'm ready. Thank you. Here we go. All right. So listen, we're going to go back in time. That's what we do in this podcast. Just a couple of years, Lawrence, to 1981. I don't even think like uh, the uh, the Back to the Future movies were even out just yet. So we're going back to '81, man. Reagan, new pre- new president, and so on. And so you're you're graduating high school from Magnolia. Do you recall? Did you have a vision back then? Did you did you have a thought as to what you might be doing here in 2020, or were you just kind of like, let's just figure it out? Like, where were you at when you were getting ready to plant your flag? Well, you know it. So one of the things with me and the way my brain works, I'm I'm in the moment kind of person. And so that's good and bad. But going through high school, I actually had the opportunity to go for an academic scholarship. I probably shouldn't say this, but an academic scholarship for UCI. And then I realized, what am I going to do with that? I don't even know what I want to do in life. Do I go and get this scholarship? And of course, I'm gonna, I have great grades. I'm going to earn it, but I'm not going to take advantage of it, and I've taken away from somebody else. So I told my counselor, ah, I don't think so. So at that point, I thought to myself, maybe some college, but it's probably not in my career path. At that point in time, I actually thought I wanted to be a um, long-haul truck driver, but I really didn't know what I wanted to do. All right. So, Lawrence, help me with this then. So 81 81- you know, it wasn't that long ago, but it was long enough where the world has changed since a little bit with regards to schooling and education. Was there any pushback from family about not going to college, not going, not going to university at the time? Or was it just, all right, let's just go get a job? So um, my mom, so I was pretty much raised by a single mom. My parents were divorced when I was young. And my mom said, look, either go to, school, go to college or go to work, but you got to do one of the two. And if you decide to go to college, you can live here and I'll support you through your education. If you decide not to go to college, then get a job and pay rent. Those are the two choices. Gotcha. Okay, good. So it sounds like she was kind of like, okay, you decide what you think is best for you. And so what did you do? Yeah, so, you know, I was really big into cycling. 
That was my big thing. And But I didn't have aspirations of being a professional cyclist. But in my heyday, in my early 20s, I could ride 200 miles in, in a day. That's a pretty substantial ride. So I didn't really have a lot of time to do a lot of things. And I stumbled across buying and selling records, how to find the records that people want, how to get them cheap, and turn them around for a profit. So that's how I supplemented my income and was able to pay rent. Cycling and buying and selling records, going to swap meet and then taking them to record stores and making a big profit on them. I, I bought an Elvis Presley demo record for 50 cents at the swap meet, turned around that day and sold it to a record store that collected vintage records for $150. So I did a lot of that to keep myself uh, afloat. All right. Now, for some listeners here, you might have to Google what a record is and what a swap meet is. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So you did Good that. But now, but now you got into a maintenance business, did you not? Yes, I did. Okay. How'd that happen? Well, this is a very interesting point in my life, which is probably one of the highlights of my life. And it's a little bit, there's a little bit sad ending to it. So I'll just prep your audience now there. Get your Kleenex ready. So I was coming back, so I live here in Southern California, and I used to ride down to the beach. So from my house to the beach, round trip was about 30 miles, and that was like a day trip for me. But I was coming back from the beach, and I remember distinctly, I was out of water. My water bottle was empty, and I was thirsty. And I remember, do I stop up at this liquor store and buy a Gatorade, but I'm only about six miles from home, or let me just fill up my water bottle. And there was a gas station that had, you know, remember those chrome water fountains that were refrigerated so the water would come out cold? Absolutely. I remember this gas station that had one. And so that's why I'm going to fill up my water bottle with this cold water. And behind the uh, counter was a gentleman by the name of Derek. And so I pull up, I've got my, you know, $1,200 bike. I'm all decked out. And he said, and I stood on my water bottle, and he said, oh, are you in the cycling? I said, yes. And he said, I just moved out here from Indiana. I don't, have, I don't know anybody, but look, I just bought this bike, and it shows us this bike. And he says, why don't we start riding? So we traded phone numbers, and a couple of weeks later, we started cycling. So as we became friends and um, riding buddies, you know, Derek was working at one of these gas stations and he said, so what are you doing for a summer job? And I said, oh, I buy and sell records. And he says, why don't you um, come to work for this, the owner of this gas station? He owns 14 gas stations. We're always looking for cashiers. So that's how Derek and I started working at the same company. After about six months of doing that together, Derek and I were talking one day and he said, hey, you know, our company calls a maintenance company when nozzles break or need hoses replaced and stuff. He goes, I have a nozzle. Let's take it apart and see how it works. So that's what we did. So I'm about 19 years old then. So we took apart this nozzle. We figured out why they work. You know, sometimes they leak, sometimes they click off. Well, we, we understood why they did that. And so we decided we're going to tell the owner of this uh, gas station chain. Again, he owned 14 gas stations. We're going to fix the broken nozzles for you. So after we got off our shift, we would go around to the gas stations, fix the broken nozzles, charge them a nominal fee to do it. But after about three months of doing that, Derek and I said, let's start our own nozzle and gas station maintenance business. And that's how we started SureFlow Nozzles back in 1982. Lawrence, can I ask you a question? Do, do you subscribe to the 
everything happens for a reason theory. Yes. Yes. Hundred percent. I mean, isn't I that amazing? That that uh, I mean, had you made a, a different fork in the road on that day when you're cycling, who knows if we'd even be speaking today? You know, I love the fact that you brought that up because that's one of the tenets in my life. The fact is, I remember the thought: Do I fill up my water bottle or do I buy a Gatorade? And the fact that I said I'll fill up my water bottle is why I met Derek and started Cheerful Nozzles. And so, how long, one thought. how long were you uh, in partnership with Derek? So we did that for let's see, till nineteen, uh, so about seven years. Okay, so end of the decade, and give or take. Yes, and we are extremely. We had over four hundred customers between LA and Orange County, and these gas stations would we would stop by. We actually fell into a maintenance program, we'd say, look, we're going to stop by every other week and whatever's broken, we'll fix. And a lot of our customers, you know, we save all the parts in a box and we show them and how the part matches up the invoice. Most of our customers say, just go throw them away. You're not going to rip us off. And I learned early on that that is the most important thing is, you know, integrity and honesty and do the right thing. So we had a lot of customers that purchased from us. There was a lot of competition because we were just, we did the right thing. And sometimes we'd show up, there's nothing wrong, or there was maybe a $15 part. We'd say, ah, don't worry about it. Just keep calling us. All right. So where's the sad part of this story? You, you prefaced it at the start that there was a bit of a sad ending. So um, what happened? It's Yeah. So unfortunately, um, I got a call one day that my partner, Derek, was uh, in the hospital and he had brain cancer. Oh, and it, man. he passed out uh, in the middle of the night. He got up to get some water, passed out. Uh, the next day, uh, I mean, that evening, I'm sorry, that early morning, he was in emergency surgery. So I ran the business by myself for about six months. He was recovering, but um, the brain cancer came back, and a few months later, he passed away. And he, did, did he know he had brain cancer when he passed out, or was this, it was so silent that he passed out of, as a result of the cancer, but didn't even know he had it? He didn't know he had it. He had you no know, idea. Sometimes you get headaches, no idea. That's what, when he learned about it, so in his passing out, he also had temporary blindness, and that's why they said, we got to do a CAT scan immediately, and the brain tumor was pressing on his optic nerve. Well, condolences uh, to you. It's obviously something that's still with you. And I'm sure that at the yes. time it was pretty gut-wrenching. Not only you have your friend who is suffering and then ultimately passes away, but you're also then trying to function a business where, of where you were responsible for 50%. Now, all of a sudden, you have to do 100%. And I'm sure it was a, a challenging time um, overall. What was behind the decision to, to move on from that business in the end? Was it just too hard or what happened? Yeah, I basically, uh, the not so glamorous part of my career, I basically uh, wasn't really able to, I could barely function. You know, Derek and I always say we raised each other, everything we learned about business and sales and taking care of customers. We kind of learned through trial and error. So I, you know, I just relinquished my part of the business to his wife. He got married at that time. And I pretty much just walked away from the business. But, you know, um, she was up her and her father-in-law ran the business and, and, you know, continue to, to make it successful. 
but I pretty much walked away from the business for the next couple of years. I was kind of wandering around a little bit and I sort of lost my way. I, I went to depression and, you know, I don't know why I'm admitting this on a podcast. I really should omit what I'm about to say, but you know, I actually was en- ended up being homeless for about six weeks. I lived in my truck. You know, I had a membership to the gym. I'd get up in the morning, take a shower. Mm-hmm. But I can tell you, while it, it's it's tough um, going through that, I never, you know, and I knew I had to get myself back on track. I I wasn't I wasn't. Uh, well, I, obviously I was going through depression, but I, I, I guess this is going to sound strange, but I always had like a positive, upbeat attitude and knowing that I was going to get out of my situation some way, somehow. Well, you know what? Listen, Lawrence, I have to say, I give you a lot of credit uh, for, you know, just talking freely here. And, you know, the purposes of this podcast is to remind people that, look, we are all in the same boat. And the only difference is the logo in the bag. We all have big factors in our life and decisions and hurdles. And, and, and I'm sure there's somebody listening more than one that, that can appreciate your situation because curveballs happen and it is what it is. And you, you manage it the way you can. And, and in the end, getting back to what we said earlier, but things happen for a reason, you usually come out of it stronger and you realize that's why it happened and you can build off of it. And so you, you, you go through a bit of a, a, a mental struggle. You, you then that factors into your current state of life, losing your home, you're homeless. And I, I get what you're saying. Listen, you go to the gym, you try and present, you know, well, but, but you're not, uh, you know, uh, on the top of your game. And so um, what, what turned it around for you? Cause, because a piece I would of think pie. a piece of pie. All right. A piece of pie at a coffee shop. So I'm sitting, I used to go to Marie Callender's and I was sitting at the, I, so I got to know everybody. Nobody knew my situation, but I would earn a little bit of money here and there selling this, you know, taking on this little odd job. I always had a little bit of money in my pocket, but I was sitting at the counter and it was in fall. And I remember envisioning a tree, a leaf falling from a tree and just being blown by the wind and that the leaf had no direction. Wherever the wind decided that leaf was going to land, it was going to land. And I thought, that's been me for the last two years. Hmm. I've just been blown all over the place. No direction in life. I just Then I started thinking about Derek, my late partner. Is that what he would want? If Derek could see the future and be able to say, Lawrence, I'm going to pass away. But you continue. And I... I don't believe that, you know, uh, he could speak to me, you know, that's just part of my personal belief, but I do believe his thoughts and thinking about how him and I met and that transformed my life. I said, look, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm taking control of my life. Almost like, almost like he called my mom. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. You were going to say something, please. I was going to say, it's almost like maybe you got the sense that he would have been disappointed had you not figured it out because that's not what he wanted for you. Thank you. That is great insight. And you're absolutely, that is where I'm heading towards. Had he seen me at that point, he would have said, this isn't the Lawrence that I know, the cyclist, the entrepreneur, what's going on with you? I'm gone, but you have to live on. So that's what turned my life around. And I called my mom and started sleeping on the couch. I got a regular job, started to get back to working. Next couple of years, I was you know, customer service delivery person, not that there's anything with those positions, but that's what got me back in the workforce, realizing I had something to offer. And especially relating to sales, 
I started expanding sales for the companies I work. I'd find opportunities. I'd call my boss. Hey, I know at you know this company we're recycling ribbons for them, but they need this over here as well. Or this other company needs some printers. And so I started getting back in that whole idea of sales, what I think is I was made to do. And what industry did you get back into or what was the next opportunity for you? So that first job that I had that really got me back into it after that moment of the leaf falling vision was a company called Triad Peripherals out of Costa Mesa. And I was a customer service and a delivery rep. And they recycled computer peripherals like inks and ribbons and computer tape. And then they also sold you know, backup cartridges and things like that. And they had huge customers. And I would go take inventory, find out if they need anything any new, and then deliver supplies to them. Kind of an all-in-one uh, position. Gotcha. And so... Uh... Lawrence, how long did you stay in the in the IT space? Various companies. So for that how was, long? My, was it a was it a long time? Yeah, so that was back in '92, and that was my first um, entree into IT. Mm-hmm. But I got into as an IT sales rep in '94. That's when okay. I started in this industry. Okay, so you're in the IT industry in '94. Was it a, a couple months? Was it uh, a couple years? How long were you in IT for? Oh, ever since I'm still I'm still doing the same. Okay, just a, a different yeah, but uh, I haven't looked back since. Okay, so you've been in IT ever since. Okay, so if we fast forward uh, a little bit here, so we go through the '90s. Anybody who lived through the '90s knows that the '90s were okay, but they were up and down. There there were some things that were going on, but there was also a lot of changes in the world in terms of how we were communicating with each other. The internet came out. Uh, the dot-coms happened in the late 90s. Then the 2000s came. A lot of us didn't even think the power would be on on January 1, 2000 and what was going to happen there. And then the 2000s came along and, boy, there was some issues. September 11th happened and and then Katrina hit and then the mortgage crisis hit in 2007, 2008. So if we go even till 2010, from 94 to 2010 for you, I mean, you, you experienced a lot in those you know, 15, 16 years. What changes did you see in the IT sector that really kept you going within that industry? Like, why stay in that space for so long? Even though you're still there now, why stay there for so long? Well, one of the things that I love about IT, it's it's a moving target. It always does change. I remember early on explaining what email was to organizations. Yeah. Now, probably, you know, I'm not a dinosaur, but I've lived through a lot of changes. And then personal desktop computers. So then you had decentralized compute. And then, and you know, moving away from the centralized data center, the big computers, you have a dumb, dumb terminal to get back to. Then with products like VMware and Citrix, where things started to become centralized again, and then cloud computing. So there's yeah. so many changes. And I, I've been to a general reseller where your solution provider, what's your customer need? You have something for everybody. To working for specific manufacturers like I am now, where you've got some point solutions that solve very specific problems and everything in between. So I've been from information security, infrastructure, backup disaster recovery, pretty much the whole gamut of what an organization needs from an information technology and an information security to keep their business running. And you've been married for how long? How long have you been married now? 26 years. And how many children? 26 years. Four kids. How old is the oldest? My oldest is my stepdaughter, although we don't use that term. 
and she'll kill me for telling you, but she's 36. 36. Okay. Very good. Okay. So you have four kids. Uh, so, so your family is like my family. My, my parents got divorced and then my mom remarried and we had to merge chickens and ducks together and, you know, kind of, kind of make them work together a little bit. And, and so, and I appreciate what you're saying there as well. And so let's fast forward a bit here, Lawrence, to, to the 2010s. Let's kind of get into this space here. Um, I know you worked at a company called, was it storage craft? Yes, that okay. was 2013. 2013. I worked at Sourcecraft, yes. Did, did you find them? Were you out of work at the time? How did, how did you start with them? Yeah, so I was in transition from a startup to you know being out of work, which happens a lot. When you work for startups, it's yeah. a crapshoot. So I actually, that's a good question. I'm trying to remember. I think it was a recruiter that introduced me to Sourcecraft. You you had been or, or you were out of work. You were looking, and a recruiter found you. Yes. Okay. All right. So, how long did you stay at Storecraft? At Storagecraft, and were you in sales? I was in sales. I was a territory manager. I was there for two years. For two years. Okay. And so, um, what was behind the decision to move on, and where'd you go? Yes. Yeah, so the the decision was pretty simple. As I increased revenue, they increased my quota so much. <laughs> that I started making less money, but yet I was driving more revenue. So the comp plan didn't fit my, the growth that I was bringing to the company. It was no longer a match. My philosophy is if that's the case, then move on, talk to your management. If, um, if they don't fit into your future plans because of a commission plan doesn't work, don't grumble, don't spread dissension, leave. So I went to Exagrid and I came across Exagrid because of a recruiter and um, they have a fantastic product. I knew about it. It was still in the disaster recovery uh, space that I was in with at Storagecraft, but the comp plan was significantly better. Okay. And uh, were you able to maintain uh, a lifestyle still in Southern California, or did you have to move? No, I maintained a lifestyle oh. and increased my income significantly. Okay. And so you went to Extra Grid, still in Southern California, still able to, not, you don't have to uproot your family and to take another job. And so that's the nice thing about living there in addition to the weather, is in, but there's an abundance of commerce. So you're able to do that. So was the move to Extra Grid what you thought? Was it harder, worse, better? What was it like? It was, it was actually better. Um, my sales leader is a fantastic person that I'm still friends with today. It was, it was a fantastic opportunity. Okay. And so why aren't you there anymore? What happened? Yeah, great question. So there was a, a, a little bit of a change in territories and ability for me to continue to produce. So I, I was thinking about changing. I was actually uh, exploring other opportunities. And my boss from Storagecraft, I called him um, and I said, listen, will you be a reference for me? And he goes, reference, you're going to leave? So I'm considering it for various reasons, nothing to do with the management or product, great company. But he said, um, why don't you come back? I said, well, I left because you can't pay me. He says, we'll match what you're making. We've acquired some new technologies. We could utilize your expertise. Why don't you come back? And I kind of threw out a number. I said, well, if you could do this, I'll come back. And he did it. So I went back. So Lawrence, was it that quick, or was it a? Did you have, did you have to really think about that? Talk to your wife, and it was, sometimes going back to where you came from, sometimes it's harder. You think, well, I already know there. There's nothing new for me, and and so what? Or was it just that simple? Give me this price. I loved working there. I'm going to come back. 
it was a four month conversation. Oh, okay. So it wasn't wow. something initially, but the reason why I went back there because I didn't leave for any other reason other than compensation. Love the mm. products, love my boss, loved all my colleagues. But I only left for one reason. And so, you know, in sales, we do that trial close. Well, if I could do this, would you be interested? So that proved it out. That was the only reason why I left. When they solved that problem, then there were no barriers to me going back. I can't think of another company that I would have done that with. But it was a pleasure going back to work for my boss at that point. So was he right in the two years that you stepped away? Had things changed and there was abundance of opportunity for you in terms of new technologies and new things to sell, and it was a good move going back? It was a good move going back because of my friendships that were there, but it didn't pan out because some of the some of the opportunities didn't pan out the way I thought they would or the way he thought they would or a lot of us thought they would. Okay, so but, but you don't feel like you were oversold? No, no, no okay. not at all. I just okay. thought that. I thought that I wasn't oversold, but the the some of the things didn't didn't pan out the way we thought they would. Okay. From a technology standpoint. And so your second run with uh, StorageCraft, how long did that last? That was approximately another two years. But a couple of years, okay. And so did did you leave electively? Did you go to another job? What happened? Yes. Yeah, so at that point, I don't really want to get into anything. Uh, too much because I don't want to speak ill of uh, any former employers because I do appreciate working there, but it was a mutual parting of the ways. Okay. So, okay. So you left and then um, where'd you go? Yeah. So then I ended up at a company called iStorage and that's interesting how I ended up there. I saw a posting on LinkedIn for a secure USB device that had Mm. a keypad. So you have to put in a passcode in order to access the data on them. So I made a comment, oh, this is great technology, and I shared it. And the CEO sent me a note, hey, thank you for promoting that. And then I said, oh, I love your technology. And he said, we're looking for director of sales to open up the U.S. market. So we started talking, and two weeks later, he hired me to run their U.S. operations. Okay, and that was when? When did you start there? Oh, that was, um, I think it was June of um, 2019. So last year. Okay. So last summer. So so a year and a half ago now, give or take. And then yes. here, here you are, VP sales of Data Locker. I want to talk to you about 2020, Lawrence, because look, man, it's just been one of those years and it is what it is. And so I'm curious about uh, what was behind you taking a new job really two months into a global pandemic because May was pretty, I mean, it's, it's not, it's not smooth sailing now here in December, but May was really choppy. So what was that like for you to take a new job in, in really uncertain times? Well, it wasn't my choice. So unfortunately I wasn't able to, to open up the markets for ice storage in the, in the U S the way they wanted to. And it's certainly not lack of, of a great product. Yeah. It's just some things didn't line up and I wasn't able to execute on what they needed. So then the pandemic hit and they said, look, we're going to curtail our plans to open up the U S right now. So we think it's best that we separate. Well, now the pandemic is hitting 
And I said, okay, look, I know a lot of people in the industry. I've been doing this for a long time. I'm, I'm going to start up a little reseller organization. And while I'm looking for a job, I'll resell some products. So I started an organization. Um, I actually had owned the domain name for a long time. Never really did anything with it. Got together a buddy of mine. Said, let's just start up a little reseller. So we did. I did some nice projects, found some deals, made a little bit of money. And I decided, let me, I want to continue to sell encrypted storage. I love the market. So I called up, uh, I signed up with Data Locker to become a reseller. And so on my in my onboarding process, I was talking about my background. I used to work at iStorage, but I'm excited to be a reseller of Data Locker. So I really like the products and some of the things they do with centralized management. And so the um, channel manager had told the CEO, you know, one of our partners used to work at iStorage. So he sent me a note on LinkedIn, Jay Kim, and said, oh, well, let's talk. And so we were just talking about the industry. Jay just likes to talk to people that are in our our space, very, very narrow focus. And we were just talking about iStorage, and I used to work for iMation, and they acquired, uh, Data Locker acquired some technology from iMation. And so we just kind of, it was almost like two buddies reminiscing, even though we never met. Jay's a very nice guy, personable guy. So at the end of our conversation, he said, look, I'm excited to have you as a partner. If there's anything you need, feel free to contact me directly and let's get some great business together. I said, I'm excited to be a partner too, but just FYI, I started this reseller organization with my buddy because I'm looking for a job, but I still have to provide. So it's mm -hmm. in the interim. And that's when Jay said, I had no idea looking for a job. I'm looking for a VP of sales. Here I am today. Well, that's a great way to, uh, I guess, land on your feet in, in some, uh, you know, choppy waters there. But, you know, it's funny, as you were speaking, you know, I'm from Canada, and every once in a while, there's some key words in there that can give it away. So sometimes I'll say out, and that's a pretty dead giveaway that I'm, <laughs> I'm from north of the border. And then as, as you were speaking, I realized that the word uh, data is another one, because you say data. And I, and I say data, I, I called it data locker. And then I heard you say data locker. So it's a dead giveaway that we're, we're pretty close, man, but I'm just outside the border there. So anyways, Lawrence, yes. I got to say, listen, it's been a lot of fun speaking with you. Uh, thank you so much for sharing your story. I always like to ask anybody who's a guest on the podcast, what's been your foundation? Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. You know, the few things, so later in life, I, I got to know my dad. We kind of reconnected as I started becoming a young man. And the one piece of advice that he shared with me that I carry through is that at the end of your life, the only thing that's left is your reputation. How did you treat others? What did you do with your life? And so that's what I carry forth to the best of my ability in my sales career. How am I taking care of my customers? Am I really putting their needs first or am I just concerned about making a commission check. And I hope it does ring true because I try as hard as I can to put their needs first. And even if a solution is not the best fit for them, I will tell them we're not going to be able to meet your needs for these reasons. But when you do that, believe me, you'll earn plenty and you'll mm -hmm. have plenty of loyal customers that you could continue to have relationships with for years to come. Yeah, that's great advice. Lawrence, thanks so much for uh, freeing up the time. It's been great speaking with you. 
It's been great being a guest. I really appreciate you inviting me on. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. All right, everybody, let's wrap this one up right now. Remember, your intention matters. Why? Because that's the result you'll tend to get. We're out of here. We'll do it again next week. Happy holidays, everybody, and be safe.